We're talking about Pearl Jam on this edition of the Super Hits Podcast. And of course, let's go with the most obvious one. It's Jeremy. Here we go. Hello, friends. I'm the uh, tortured lead singer, JBC, yes. aka Megamix.com. I'm here with my co-host, the easily replaceable drummer known as Slip with Five Eyes. What's going on, friend? Oh, that that hurts, dude. Well, I didn't. I don't think you are, but you know, it's Pearl Jam today, so we're talking replaced drummers. All right, fine. It's episode ninety-two, Super Hits Podcast. We're nestled right into my wheelhouse with this one. I'm a big Pearl Jam fan, so I'm excited for the upcoming 30 minutes or so. Before we get into it, though, big man, I want to share a story. I, I, I'm sure you've heard this story. Before, oh, I know what story you're going but into. But I have to share it right out of the gate because I think it's, it's a good story. Yep. Um, back in high school, there was this guy. His name was Danny. Uh-huh. And Danny uh, was trying to convince a group of us that uh, in Pearl Jam's cover, Victoria Williams's Crazy Mary, that Eddie <laughs> Vedder says his name. That says the name Danny. Yep. He existed to us that in the chorus, he said, uh, take a bottle, drink it down, Denny, pass it around. Uh And he was like, this is not a joke. Like this happened because we've been telling this story for decades. Yep. Um, We laughed at him, of course, because he was an idiot. And he, of course, in true Denny fashion, he got mad. And he said that we were just jealous that Pearl Jam didn't say any of our names in one of their songs. Uh Uh-huh. To which our friend Jeremy <laughs> raised his hand and was like, uh, come on, man. Uh-huh. And I wrote in my uh, notes here, I swear it happened. Let's get into it. Oh, it's the greatest story ever. Here we go. That is the greatest story ever. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Um, just some quick background here about the band. Uh, I just I just pulled it from like the Wiki. I'm just going to go quick on this. There's a lot to get to. I don't want to bog us down. Yep. Pearl Jam, an American al- al- alternative rock band. Formed in Seattle, Washington in 1990. Uh, they were formed after the demise of Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament's previous band, Mother Love Bone. Um, Pearl Jam broke into the mainstream with their debut album, 10, in 1991. 10 stayed on the Billboard 200 chart for nearly five years. Oh, crazy. Uh, it's gone on to become one of the highest selling rock records ever, going 13 times platinum in the United States alone. Uh, I wish that I had in front of me uh, how much it sold worldwide. I don't. I apologize. Okay. Um, I don't want to get all confused and switching tabs, so I'm not going to do it. But they <laughs> sold a lot of copies. Uh, one of the key bands in the grunge movement of the early 90s, uh, Pearl Jam's members often shun popular music industry practices, such as making music videos or participating in interviews. The band also sued Ticketmaster, claiming it had monopolized the concert ticket market. Very prescient. Yes. Especially in this day and age where people kind of laughed at Pearl Jam back in the 90s when they took a stand. And, of course, they ended up having to back down after a few years because, you know, uh, Ticketmaster basically muscled, you know, everybody out. And now here we are in 2023 uh, and uh, Ticketmaster, just one of the slimiest countries, of the, uh, one of the slimiest companies in the world. Okay. Yes. Well, um, yes. In 2006, Rolling Stone described the band as having a spent much of the past decade deliberately tearing apart their own fame. Back in uh, when they when they uh, became a band, they used the name Mookie Blaylock yep. in reference to the then active basketball player. Uh, they played their first official show at the Off Ramp Cafe Cafe in Seattle on October twenty second, nineteen ninety. They would open for Alice in Chains at the Moore Theater in Seattle on December twenty second, nineteen ninety, serving as the opening app for that band's facelift tour in nineteen ninety one. They signed uh, with Epic Records and renamed themselves Pearl Jam. 
uh, which, you know, I mean, they've been around a long time, so it's kind of acceptable, but really, what a bad name. Yeah. <laughs> um, in an early promotional interview, Eddie Vedder would uh, pretend that the name Pearl Jam was a reference to his great-grandmother Pearl, who was married to a Native American and had a special recipe for peyote-laced jam. Yep. Again, terrible. Um, there's there's a video of him telling the story, and it's infuriating. Uh-huh. He's all sitting around a campfire. All Mistopheles out talking about it. Uh-huh. Terrible. In a 2006 uh, Rolling Stone cover story, however, Venner admitted that the story was total bullshit. Even though he indeed had a great grandma named Pearl, bassist Jeff Ament and guitarist Mike McCready explained that Ament came up with the Pearl, saying that the band later settled on Pearl Jam after attending a Neil Young concert in which he extended his songs as improvisations of 15 to 20 minutes in length. Okay. Uh, they entered the London Bridge Studios in Seattle on March 1991 to record their debut album. Uh, Mike McCready said that 10 was mostly Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament. Me and Eddie were along for the ride at that time. Uh, their drummer at the time, Dave Crewson, left the band in May 91 after checking himself into rehab for alcoholism. He was replaced by Matt Chamberlain, who had previously played with Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Uh, after playing only a handful of shows, Chamberlain uh, left the band to join the Saturday Night Live band. <laughs> So uh-huh. he suggested on his way out that Dave Abruzis, as uh, his replacement, Abruzis uh, joined the group as the third drummer and played the rest of, of Pearl Jam's live shows supporting 10. So here we are in uh, 1991, three drummers in. Mm-hmm. Um, released on August 27, 1991, t- 10, which was uh, Mookie Blaylock's jersey number, contained 11 tracks. Uh-huh. So a missed <laughs> opportunity, <clears throat> Yep, I think. Just like when we re- uh, reviewed 10 on our... Uh, other podcast albums are dead and we reviewed it on episode nine. Oh, we suck. <laughs> yep. The album uh, was slow to sell, but by the second half of 92, it became a breakthrough success being certified gold and reaching number two on the billboard charts. Uh, let's pivot here now to uh, the song. Jeremy, along with the rest of 10 was recorded in March and April 91. Like I said, London bridge in Seattle, Washington, the music uh, bassist Jeff Ament, uh, lyrics by Eddie Vedder produced by Rakesh, Rick Parisher. The track begins with a big bass line, uh, punctuated with uh, harmonics, a technique that me and my friends all scrambled to learn so we could show off. <sighs> Fucking dorks. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, Amen said, I already had two pieces of music that I wrote on acoustic guitar with the idea that I would play them on a Hamer 12-string bass that I just ordered. When the bass arrived, one of the pieces became Jeremy. I had an idea for the outro when we were recording it the second time. I overdubbed the 12-string bass. We had a cello that was a big-time production for us. Um, Stone was sick one day and Ed, Rick and I conjured up the art piece that opens and closes the song. It was so fun. I wanted to make the whole record like that. (laughs) I I have a question for you. Just pivoting a little bit. Sure. So how long was your transition between your like Compton look and your Seattle look when you were in (laughs) high school? I would say like by, uh, you know, summer of 92. Yeah. It's when my buddies started all skateboarding and then we started like listening to, you know, suicidal tendencies and, and, uh, you know, uh, beastie boys and, uh, you know, Nirvana, red chili peppers. And then Pearl jam kind of came a little bit after, but yeah, it was a pretty quick transition. All right. So you did it over the summer though. So at school it was seamless. You were just a new guy when you showed up at the next grade. Like I was, you know, I, I don't know if I talked about this before, but for a while there, like we were all like super uh, rappers yep. and we wore like rayon shirts and, and, and slacks uh, to like dances. And I remember in about midnight, early to mid 92, 
they would my friends would make fun of me for wearing jeans and sweatshirts uh-huh. calling me a farmer <laughs> but i was ahead of the curve hey that that's right then one they were the guys that one day all of a sudden they had the big baggy jeans and the like skateboard shirts so i don't think for me it was quite as um i wasn't like as all in with the look i don't think yeah uh, it was i you know because i mean like let's say like the easy look was like jeans and a baseball hat yep that 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 transitioned fairly easily to like the grunge look i felt all so, right so i wasn't that bad you a trendsetter but yeah i'm, I'm the roger lamb of this podcast. <laughs> yes um in another interview jeff amen said uh, we knew we had a good song but it was tough getting it to feel right for the chorus to sit back in the outro to push over the top the tune went from practically not making it on the record to being one of the best takes i'm not sure if it's the best song on the album I agree it's not. I think it's the best take on Jeremy. I always heard this other melody in the chorus. It never sounded good on guitar bass. We brought in a cello player, blah, blah, blah. The single edit of the song clocks in at a little long, four minutes and 46 seconds. Oh, I couldn't have cut that down a little bit, boys. Did you need as much of that intro? I don't know. No, 16 seconds to hack. I think we could have hacked it off there, boys. Uh, Jeremy released as the third single off 10 on August 17th, 1992 on Epic Records. Uh, The US CD single, which I had. Nice. I still have sitting somewhere in a box somewhere. I got this single back in uh, probably 1993. Okay. Um, it had the B-sides, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about the rest of them, but the B-sides on the single I had, the US CD single, uh, had Footsteps and Yellow Leadbetter. Footsteps was a song that was recorded on a demo by guitarist Stone Gossard in 1990 following the death of Andrew Wood, the singer in Mother Love Bone. Uh, he had put together a, uh, a demo. Uh, he gave the tape of the demo. They gave the tape to Jack Irons, former Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer, who went to San Diego and gave it to his uh, buddy, Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder uh, then recorded the vocals over three of the songs, one being Alive, one being Once, and one being Footsteps. Footsteps uh, was on the demo called Troubled Times. Uh, he called it the Mama Son Trilogy. It was uh, you know, kind of tied together lyrically as a kind of a, a rock opera, so to speak. Yeah. Alive came first. The guy has a relationship with his mother who, cause he looks like his, his dead dad yeah, in once, which is also on the album 10 as along with alive uh, is where uh, a murderous killing spree. And then footsteps is the man on death row. So that was the trilogy um, footsteps. Of course, first recorded as a temple of the dog song yeah. called times of trouble. And it was on the temple of the dog album, which uh, was a tribute to Andrew Wood. The version on the Jeremy single was actually recorded live on Rockline on May 11th, 1992. There is no studio version of Footsteps. Okay. Yellow Leadbetter was an outtake from the 10 sessions. It is a concert staple. It has been performed live on 379 occasions, according to Pearl Jam's website. It's fantastic. It's a great song. <clears throat> yep. It is a fan favorite. And um, this uh, back in 1992, 93, 94, 95 and on, this was the only place you could find it. Yeah. Um, so you had to buy the singles to get these songs. You heard they existed. Um, you had to seek them out. I went and purchased that probably for the Jeremy single. Probably cost me $17. Let's go off on another tangent for a second. Yes. Uh, I do another podcast about Degrassi, though right now we're covering my so-called life. Yes. It's called Narbos and Broomheads. Sometimes Great I say... podcast, it, folks. Go listen to it. Sometimes I say the email address of that podcast by accident on this one. You do. You do. I, I'm convinced that you were paid by your co-hosts yeah. to do so. Uh, in a recent episode, the question was asked of the hosts, have you ever lost an item because of a breakup in a relationship? Yes. And I told the story of an item that you could have lost but recovered. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, this was this was one of them. 
Yes. This single. Yeah, where you lent these, again, this is the 90s, everybody, these precious, really rare, like not not bullshitting rare. No, this, was, uh, this was hard to find back yeah, then. Yeah, rare, hard to find CDs to somebody who you were dating who, for some reason, brought them back to her place in rural Manitoba. Yes. And when I was driving through that same place on my own trip, and she wasn't home, but with her permission... Yep. Her parents let me into the house and into her room to retrieve the CDs for you. Yes, it was this one for sure. Yep. And I know that the other one was the, the uh, Pearl Jam's Dissident single, which was uh, a single that had the Dissident single from Versus uh, from 1993 and a bunch of concert tracks from the Fox Theater in Atlanta in 94. And you could get the second and third version of the single and then you could add them into the jewel case which folded out with stickers yep it was yeah you were a hero yep. you were a king among men i really was <laughs> absolutely yeah i we did a bit of a swap and i never got mine back and uh yeah that was a good uh, that was a good good times and uh, a big save by the by the slipmeister and this was one of the cd's so yes that was the um that was the cd single in the U, uh, the us the us 7 inch uh, features a slightly longer single version of Jeremy and the studio version of Alive. Uh, there's a UK 7-inch uh, and CD and cassette that feature Yellow Leadbetter and a live version of Alive. Uh, the UK 12-inch was about the same as the 7-inch, but also includes footsteps. The picture used for the cover is of a little girl grabbing at a gun that is among her crayons. Uh, the photo was taken by Lance Mercer, and the little girl who appears on it is Jessica Curtis, the daughter of Kelly Curtis, the group's longtime manager. All right. Uh, Jeremy has appeared on a few compilations. Uh, we've got uh, a German compilation called Rock Chartbreaker 93. <laughs> yes. The cover features a punk rock lizard playing a guitar. Uh-huh. <laughs> and there it weirded me out because it claims that it's lo- it's all recorded live, but I don't think it is. Okay. But it also, in the bottom corner, has a, it says the word live, suspiciously written in a very similar font to the band live weird okay that they would use in like you know on their cds so it's very strange but i don't think it's the same but it's it's kind of uncanny okay um we've got a 1993 collection called dad i blew up america the cover (laughs) is eddie vetter leaping into the crowd from the stage it does not just contain pearl jam songs it's got a bunch of stuff and includes the spin doctors okay uh, there, it appears on a 2003 epic 50th anniversary collection, a collection called Select Mix Presents 90s Essentials, and on the very best alternative slash grunge ballads, which features songs like Loser by Beck and Nirvana's Love Buzz and Smells Like Teen Spirit, none of which are ballads. I mean, grunge ballads, like right there, it's like those two things don't go together. Not really, but I mean, you could stick Black Hole Sun and Black by Pearl Jam and claim it's grunge ballads, but loser? Yeah. Come on. Anyway, Jeremy is included as part of Pearl Jam's Rearview Mirror Greatest Hits 1991-2003 collection, as well as on countless official live bootlegs. Yeah. Uh, the song's been played live 553 times, so it's on a lot of live releases. Uh, it was first performed live by Pearl Jam on May 17, 1991, at the Off Ramp Cafe. Uh, the band's 1992 appearance on MTV Unplugged included a performance of the song. Uh, there is an alternate version of the song that was released in 2011 on the, as the band's 2010 uh, annual holiday vinyl single. The version is called No Jeremy. It's just a different version. Okay. Jeremy was used as an entrance theme 
by independent wrestler, the Prince of Memphis, Jeremy Blanchard. Okay. Uh-huh. Your favorite wrestler, I guess. Uh, I guess so, yep. I included the track on my seventh monthly mixtape in January 93. So. Of course you did. Of course I did. I mean, the whole, all of 10 is somewhere strewn throughout the first mixes that I did. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the uh, facts and background on Jeremy. Should we go to the lyrics? Uh, yeah, the only other thing I'll say is I do not own any versions of the single yet on vinyl. They are on my want list. They are not cheap, but not as expensive as you'd think. So there awesome. you go. All right, lyrics. Lyrics. So Jeremy's based on two different true stories. Uh, the song takes its main inspiration from a newspaper article about a 15-year-old boy named Jeremy Wade Dele from Richardson, Texas, who shot himself in front of his teacher in his second period English class of 30 students on the morning of January 8th, 1991. Uh, in a 2009 interview, Eddie Vedder said he felt the need to take that small article and make something of it, to give that action, to give it reaction, to give it more importance. Uh, Dele was described by schoolmates as real quiet and known for acting sad. That's just terrible. Uh-huh. Uh, after coming into class late that morning, he was told to get a, a slip from the school office. He left the classroom, returned with a 357 Magnum revolver. He walked to the front of the classroom, announced, Miss, I've got what I really went for, put the gun, barrel of the firearm in his mouth and pulled the trigger. Jesus. Ugh, all right. Neeson were a classmate, knew him from the in-school suspension program. He would pat, They would pass notes back and forth. He signed all his notes right back, but on Monday, on that Monday, he wrote later days. She didn't know what to make of it, uh, but she thought this would never, she never thought this would happen. Uh, the second story the song's based on involved a student that better knew from his junior high school in uh, San Diego, California, who committed a school shooting. Vetter later elaborated in 1991. I actually knew somebody in junior high that did the same thing just about, didn't take his life, but ended up shooting up an oceanography room. I remember being in the halls and hearing it, and I actually had altercations with this kid in the past. I was kind of a rebellious fifth grader, and I think we got into fights and stuff. So it's kind of a bit about this kid named Jeremy, and it's also about this kid named Brian that I knew, and I don't know. The song, I think it says a lot. I think it goes somewhere and a lot of people interpret it in different ways. But it's just been recently that I've been talking about the true meaning behind it. And I hope no one's offended. And believe me, I think of Jeremy when I sing it. Okay. So yes, it's it's a, uh, a fantastic set of lyrics. I can't really pick a favorite line. But, uh, you know, it's, it, he drops the, uh, the F-bomb in it, which is always great. Yep. So uh, I clearly I remember picking on the boy. Seemed a harmless little fuck, but we unleashed the lion, gnashed his teeth, and bit the recessed lady's breast is uh, pretty poignant. What are your thoughts? I like, but we unleashed the lion. Yes. Uh, the best thing that's sung in this one was, and the boy was something that mummy wouldn't wear. King Jeremy the Wicked oh, ruled his world. That's that, the, the, oh, nice. Yeah, like the singing of that part, fantastic. Absolutely. But, folks, don't take our word for it. Oh, please don't. There are plenty of opinions out there. I mean, we like to think that we're experts, but we know where the experts are. We're not. First, we're going to start at Song Facts, shall we? Please. So over in the Song Facts comments section, Lou Reed from New York City. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Lou Reed asked... Did he say? Uh, did, did he say? Do 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 do? No, no. He okay. did. All right. He actually asked a question. All right. He said, "Isn't the part about getting hit with a, by a surprise left my jaw left hurt and dropped right wide open about Paul McCartney?" I read that Paul McCartney punched Eddie Vedder with the left hook, and he put it in there because of that. Is this true? I'm gonna guess no. <laughs> I think it's pretty uh, safe to say no, uh-huh. it's not true. Sorry, Lou Reed. Yep. <laughs> Al Bundy from <laughs> and Cara Turkey wrote, uh-huh. I think this song is one of the most touching and intense songs ever. 
So thank you for that, Al Bundy. Thanks, Al. Uh, Jean from San Lorenzo, Puerto Rico wrote, I can sing like Eddie, but my th- throat hurts like hell. Awesome song. Uh, I think that that's what he says as an excuse. Yes. It's like, oh, I'd sing it, but my throat hurts right now. So. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I think he do. Yep. He, even online, he can't, he can't like be called out. No. Nope. Like, in case someone is like, well, sing for us. And he'd be like, my throat, man. Yeah. Matt from Houston, Texas wrote, Vetter is the language of love, um, which is strange on the comment section for Jeremy. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, that's song facts. Over on song meanings, it's very hard to unpin the lyrics from the video treatment. Um, so I'm just going to find some favorite quotes, okay? Um, Mikey Rat wrote, Thankfully, Daddy did give affection and Mommy did care, or it very well could have been Mikey who spoke in class today, not Jeremy. Okay, wow. Holy wow. fuck. Okay. So thank you to Mikey Rat's mom and dad. Yeah, honestly. thanks for the warning, and wherever Mikey works, people should be aware of... Well, no, but he's saying his mom and dad were good, so you know he's 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 okay. Oh, he's not, okay. He's not dangerous. Uh huh. Anyway, uh, Flyba Eleven wrote a bunch of my friends did this song for the school talent show recently. I, for one, never actually knew what the song was about. Okay, I decided to find out after someone turned to me and said, "I can't believe they're letting them play this." <laughs> yes, I think it's an awesome song, and to many people, and and too many people blame entertainment for what happens in society today. But you just kind of were like he just basically said the same thing yep as society says so really come on dude the sandman <laughs> wrote in all caps awesome song my only question is if jeremy killed himself then what the lyrics king jeremy the wicked mean shouldn't the other classmates be considered wicked he didn't do anything wrong okay <laughs> what an idiot uh-huh uh, anyway, I'll leave that one. Mick Block wrote another instance of Mr. Vetter cashing in on angst. <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Robert Prule wrote the song sounds like a harmless love story or perhaps the end of days. XOXOXO. Okay, sure. No idea. Neither, finally, neither of those things, by the way. I, I, I don't know. Uh, and finally, Mr. Mintanet wrote are all the woos and a's and yays really necessary? Absolutely, they are, dude. They totally are. Yep. <laughs> Come on, Anyway, man. that's lyrics. Unless you have something else, we go into reception. Here we go. So, um, in the U.S., Jeremy did not originally chart in the regular Billboard Hot 100 since it was not released as a commercial single in the U.S. at the time. Uh, but after a re-release, Jeremy entered the Billboard Hot 100 on August 12th, 1995. Oh, wow. Okay. At number 83 between When You Say Nothing at All by Alison Krauss and Union Station and a song called Warm Summer Days, D-A-Z-E, by a band, by a group called Vibe, V-Y-B-E. No. All right. Yeah. Uh, it peaked one week later at number 79. Uh, the Billboard Top 10 on August 19th, 1995. Oh, yes. I, You know, got to do it. Uh, number one, Waterfalls by TLC. Oh. Number two, oh, so good. Kiss from a Rose by Seal. Oh, yes. Number three, Shaggy with Bombastic slash In the Summertime. I assume this is Mr. Bombastic. Yep. <laughs> uh, number four, Notorious B.I.G. with One More Chance slash Stay With Me. We've got at number five, Vanessa Williams with Color of the Wind. Open parenthesis from Pocahontas. <laughs> Thank Close you. Parenthesis. Uh-huh. All for one. I can love you just like that at number six. 
number seven, Monica, don't take it personal. Open parenthesis, just one of them days. Close parenthesis. <laughs> number eight, a weird one to be in this list, Blues Traveler with Runaround. Wow, okay. And then here's a, here's something I've never heard of. Number nine, Mo Ken Steph with He's Mine. I have no idea what that is either. So Mo Ken Steph is Mo, capital M, O, capital k-e-n and then capital steph so i pretty like capital f for steph so i think it's like three people's names jammed together okay terrible and at number 10 water ones dry by boys to men a few good songs and a bunch of garbage yep back in 1992-93 jeremy hit number five on both the alternative airplay and mainstream rock starts charts and i said you know what let's pull them oh damn so let's pull the uh, mainstream rock chart from the week where it peaked at number five. That would be October 17th, 1992. The top 10 is something else. Okay. We've got it number one with Bad Company <laughs> with How About That. What? But uh-huh. at number two, Pete Digging in the Dirt. Oh, nice. All right. Amazing. We've got a song called Rest in Peace by Extreme. <laughs> okay. At number four, Drive by R.E.M. Number right. five, Jeremy. Then at number six, Foreigner makes an appearance with Soul Doctor. How? What? Okay. Dude, I don't know. Someone named Jude Cole is at number seven with Start the Car. We've got Saigon Kick limps their way in at number eight with Love on, <laughs> is on the way. Uh-huh. Then there's, of course, Leila Bayer Clapton mm. at number nine, Garbage. And then the Black Crows with Thorn in My Pride oh, at Jesus. number ten. Okay. And I wrote here, come on. Let's check the alternative airplay as well. Okay. So here's the chart from September 5th, 1992. Alternative airplay. Uh, Morrissey at number one with Tomorrow. <laughs> number two, In Excess, Not Enough Time. The Cure at number three with A Letter to Elise. Paul Westerberg at number four with Dyslexic Heart off the single soundtrack. Jeremy at number five. And then my personal fave on this list, Sonic Youth with 100%. Oh, wow. What a great song. Okay. Uh, Utah Saints, who I have no idea who that is, was something good. And no, that is not something good by who's that? VR? No. Was something good? Remember that? I don't. It's not the same. You remember the, 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 <laughs> that terrible rap group from Winnipeg who did the something good and they sampled Macho oh, Man? Oh, yes, yes. Okay, yes. When you Amazing. said VR, well, now I know. Uh-huh. Something good. Anyway, Temple of the Dog, Hunger Strike at number eight. PJ Harvey, Sheila Nagig at number nine and at number 10, you two, even better than the real thing. So a bit better of a list. Yep. So um, internationally, uh, Jeremy hit 68 in Australia, 93 in Germany, uh, number 10 in Ireland, 34 in New Zealand, 59 in the Netherlands. In the UK, it debuted and peaked at number 15 on the week of September 26, 1992. And this is one hell of a top 10. Okay. Just Just wait to hear some of these. At number one, The Shaman with Ebenezer Good. No. Okay. Number two, Dr. Alban with It's My Life. Uh-huh. Number three, Undercover with Baker Street. Number four, Snap, Rhythm is a Dancer. Okay. Number five, Brian May with Too Much Love Will Kill You. Uh-huh. Number six, Bob Marley and the Wailers, Iron Lion Zion. Now this one, I don't, I don't, dude, this might be one of the worst things I've ever talked about. Manic Street Preachers and Fatima Mansions with theme from MASH. Yep. Slash everything I do, I do it for you. Yep. 
What is that? Well, the theme for Mash, I mean, it's a it's a cover. Like of, I know it's Suicide is Painless. Yeah, it's a cover of Suicide is Painless, which is one of their kind of earlier songs before the dude disappeared <laughs> from Manic Street Preachers. That's true. I mean, that is a yeah. So that is like that's a famous song they did. Uh, well, for fans, right? For fans, yeah. Because I yeah, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, but it is a cover of that Mash theme song, and that yeah. other one though, like a cover of Everything I Do, I Do It for You. I'm assuming. Yeah. has to be, of course. And like, what, a year after it was on the top? I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, and I'll mention it in a few weeks. After the original was on the top of the charts for 16 weeks. Yeah. I, I'm going to assume here, and, and what I probably missed doing this, compiling this, is that the Fatima Mansions cover of Brian Adams is on the B side. Yeah. Well, maybe. I, I mean, they list it, though, right? So, I don't know. Anyways. Anyway. Uh, number eight, Lionel Richie, My Destiny. Number nine, Luther Vandross and Janet Jackson, The Best Things in Life are Free. And number 10, John Cicada with Just Another Day. Bunch uh, of garbage. Yep. Um, in Canada, it peaked at number 32 on the RPM 100 on October 10th. In Canada, the top 10 that week. Patty Smith and Don Henley, Sometimes Love Just Ain't Enough. Come on. Uh, number two, Bare Naked Ladies with Enid. Oh, wow. CanCon. Yeah. Some CanCon. We continue the CanCon at number three. Brian Adams, do I have to say the words? I don't know. Was it officially listed as CanCon? Because that album is not it, a CanCon album. Yeah, it's not a CanCon album. I'm actually not looking at it right here, so I didn't include that. I yeah. Just, I kind of assumed. We'll, so it's we'll, not CanCon, I don't think. Yeah, the, so you have to have four things to be CanCon in Canada, right? It's not oh, sorry. produced. Pardon right? me. It's it, You have to be two out of four. So uh, was it music written? Like the music who was written by the artist, yeah. the producer, and the label? And only the musician, or the artist, sorry, was the only one of the four. Because, <laughs> yeah, for, for do I have to say the words, I Well, I, I don't know. So, again, I know this is not about Brian Adams. I don't know if it was about the whole album. It was certainly everything I do, I do it for you did not count. Yeah. Uh, do yeah. I have to say the words may have? I don't know who wrote it. Who knows? And you know what? I don't have the wherewithal to go look it up. So, number four, Boys to Men, End of the Road. Number five, Celine Dion, Nothing Broken But My Heart. All right. Number six, though, an all-time classic. Bobby Brown, humping around. Yes. Shakespeare's sister with stay at number seven. Not enough time in excess at number eight. Layla uh-huh. at number nine. And a great song at number 10. Annie Lennox with Walking on Broken Glass. Oh, Canada wins easily this round. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, th- and that includes like even the alternative airplay and everything. Jeremy, certified gold in the US, silver in the UK. Spotify, uh, 270 million streams. On YouTube, the official video has 135 million views, been up for about 13 years. At the 93 Grammy Awards, Jeremy received nominations for Best Rock Song, where it lost to Layla. Best Hard Rock Performance, it lost to Give It Away by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. Um, the video uh, for the song, which we'll talk about in a bit, won four MTV Video Music Awards in 93. It won Video of the Year. Oh. Okay. Uh, it edged out Living on the Edge by Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. And Vogue's Free Your Mind. Pete's Digging in the Dirt. Yep. And R.E.M.'s Man on the Moon. Okay. Um, it won for Best Group Video, uh, eking out Depeche Mode with I Feel You, Free Your Mind, and Man on the Moon. It won Best Metal slash Hard Rock Video, uh, Beat Out Living on the Edge, uh, Unsung by Helmet and Wish by Nine Inch Nails. And it won Best Direction in a Video. Uh, Mark Pellington won over the director for Free Your Mind for uh, Man on the Moon and a video by... Los Lobos called Kiko and the Lavender Moon. Okay. I wanted to give a very quick uh, little fun fact. Did you know that one of the nominees for Best R&B Video in 1993 was Seven 
by Prince and the New Power Generation. That's a great fact. Thank you. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Let's go to covers and samples. All right, here we go. So there are no samples contained in the song. Uh, Jeremy's been sampled in three songs, according to who sampled. In 95, a vocal sample appeared in the song Nothing Man, open parenthesis, ghost track, close parenthesis, by somebody called Off the Beat. I didn't listen to it. Okay. Uh, in 2010, an artist called Versus chopped up the bass line in a track called French Fries, and it's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> like, it's just like it's based around, like, chopped up the bass line from Jeremy. It's good. Uh, and in 2014, an artist called Sea of Dogs sampled multiple elements of Jeremy on a very ambient track called Come to Attention. It's a whole lot of nothing. Okay. As far as cover goes, there are 16 uh, listed on who sampled. Here's some notables. There's the requisite Rockabye Baby version. We have it. It's good. There's an acoustic cover cut by a group called, Bo- or by somebody called Boyce Avenue in 2012. I wrote boring. <laughs> There's a novelty string quartet version from 20, 2003. That's fine. Uh, in 2017, a group called Orphaned Land and Friends did a cover that musically is pretty awesome, but the vocals, so annoying. Okay. <laughs> and of course, 8-Bit Arcade got into this in 2021. I listened to a preview of it. It's okay. okay. It's not great. Um, and that's covers and samples. All right. Main event time. Main event time. So I've got a lot here before we even talk about it. Um, in July 91, uh, Eddie Vedder became acquainted with Photographer Chris Cafaro, Vetter uh, suggested that Cafaro film a music video for the band on Vetter's assistance. Epic gave them permission to use, uh, gave Cafaro permission to use any song off 10. He chose Jeremy, which was not intended to be released as a single at the time. Uh, Epic refused to fund the clip and Cafaro had to finance it himself. Uh, he raised the money by taking out a loan and selling all his furniture and half his guitar collection. Jesus. He, uh, just remember, this is the original video. Okay. <laughs> so... Let's just say that he did all this for nothing. Uh-huh. Uh, he first filmed several scenes of a young actor playing the part of Jeremy. He, uh, Kafaro and his crew spent a day filming uh, the boy playing the part of Jeremy. The scenes with Pearl Jam were filmed in a warehouse on Pico Boulevard in L.A. A, revo- a revolving platform was ringed at the center of the set, and the members of the band climbed on it to give the illusion of the song being performed as a crew member spun the giant turntable by hand. Eddie Vedder appeared with black gaffer's tape around his biceps as a mourning band for the real Jeremy. By the time Kufaro finished his music video, however, Epic started to warm up to the idea of releasing Jeremy as a single. Yes. So they brought in a new director. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And uh, Kufaro's version is available. I watched it. It's not great. Um, So Epic Records, smart. But poor Chris Cafaro. Yep. So Mark Pellington brought in to handle the project. He said he wasn't a huge fan of the band, but the lyrics intrigued him. He spoke to Eddie Vedder and got connected to his passion. And they convened in King's Cross, London in June 1992 to film a new version. The second and official version um, with veteran editor Bruce Ashley, Pennington's high budget video incorporated rapid fire editing and juxtaposition of sound, still images, graphics, and text elements with live action sequences to create kind of a collage effect. The classroom scenes were filmed at Bayonne High School in New Jersey. The video also featured many close-ups of Vedder performing the song with the other members of Pearl Jam, shown only briefly. Yep. Uh, some of the stock imagery was similar to the original video, but when it came to the band, Pellington focused on Vedder. Vedder thus serves as the video's narrator. Uh, in Pellington's video, Jeremy is played by an actor named Trevor Wilson, shown at school being alienated from and taunted by his classmates, running shirtless through a forest and screaming at his parents at a dinner table. Only Jeremy is shown moving in the video. All the other characters are uh, kind of like statues. Yeah. 
Uh, shots of the words depicting other presumed descriptions of Jeremy uh, flash on the screen, along with biblical allusions. The song becomes more dense and frenetic. The video does as well. Jeremy be behavior becomes increasingly agitated. Strobe lighting adds to the uh, anxious uh, uh, atmosphere. We get, uh, you know, he's standing in front of a wall of billowing flames. He's shown staring at the camera while wrapped in an American flag surrounded by fire. Yep. He stands shirtless in an artificial forest. Surrounded by drawings, he becomes aggravated, breaks off a branch, and swings it at various trees in anger. Uh, all while white lights flash around his body. And of course, we get to the final scene, which you can see now in its entirety on YouTube. Uh -huh. uh, after you click a, uh, I, I, I'm okay watching, uh, you know, um, th this imagery. Um, this is, uh, we'll get to the controversy in a second, but the final scene shows Jeremy into the class, uh, strides into the class shirtless, tosses an apple to teacher like a boss. Yep. <laughs> uh, stands in front of his classmates, reaches down, draws back his arm, takes a gun out of his pocket. He then, in this version that is available now, and which was originally recorded as the video, he then sticks the gun in his mouth. Yep. Closes his eyes and pulls the trigger. We get a flash of light. Screen goes to black. And as the song kind of ends, we get a pan of the classroom showing Jeremy's blood-splattered classmates all recoiled in horror. Yep. The controversy, of course, was that the, the original video shows him putting his gun in his mouth. Uh, MTV wouldn't let them show it. So the weapon was cropped out of the shot and people thought that he killed the class, the kids in the class. Yep. So the ambiguity created the, with the gun being unseen combined with the subsequent shot of the defensive posture of his classmates and large amount of blood led many viewers to believe that it ended, uh, the video ended with Jeremy shooting his classmates, not himself. And when I talked about um, song meanings earlier, it was all discussions about the video. Of course. And this. Um, so yeah, that's... Um, you have anything that you want to talk about with this video? I mean, I, I, I kind of went through it rapid fire. I mean, my only two comments. YouTube gave me a warning about suicide and self-harm topics before yes. I could play the video. So you need to click on that before it'll play. Yeah. And obviously, the end of the video is fucked up and iconic. Yes. I mean, everyone, again, our age, if you watched music videos, you, mm -hmm. you know exactly what this is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 100%. Uh, so those are my comments. Do you have anything else or do you want to yeah, write it? Yeah, I just have a couple a couple little things here okay. um, from the Wiki. Uh, 1997 Rolling Stone described the song and video as depicting an unpopular student bringing a gun to class and shooting people. People. So that's what Rolling Stone wrote about. Yep. Pellington himself dismisses this interpretation. Of course, he says... The greatest frustration I've ever had was that the ending is sometimes misinterpreted. Uh, the idea that's his blood on them and they're frozen in the moment of looking. In 96, a shooting occurred at Frontier Junior High in Moses Lake, Washington that left three dead and a fourth injured. The prosecutors for the case oh, get, no. said, guess what? Of course. He was influenced by the edited version of the music video. Yeah, that's why everybody's sh fucking shooting in schools in the States, yeah, everyone. Being Pearl Jam. For the last 30 years. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, MTV and VH1 have rarely broadcast the video since Columbine in 1999 but still airs it from time to time on mvb classic can also occasionally be seen played at the hard rock cafe locations so that's awesome yeah don't get rid of the fucking guns just get rid of no, the music video get rid everyone of the music videos yeah. absolutely solve the problem yeah and of course uh, documentaries about the era such as i love the 90s tend to uh not talk about the video uh -huh. so it's just best to pretend it doesn't exist um, however, most uh, clips of it were shown during VH1's countdown of the 100 greatest songs of the 90s and placed uh, Jeremy at number 11. The video was included in much music list of the 12 most controversial videos due to its subject of suicide and in light of school shootings. Uh, after Jeremy, Pearl Jam backed away from making music videos. 
Uh, 10 years from now, Jeff Amon said, I don't want people to remember our songs as videos. The band did not release another video until 1998's Do the Evolution, which was entirely animated. Mm-hmm. And that's the music video, folks. Uh, should we go to the ratings? Here we go. All right, big man. What do you say about the video? Uh, the video is iconic. You'll never forget it. Uh, never forget it playing at the time. I was not a big Pearl Jam fan at the time that this album came out. I was not a non-fan. It just wasn't for me. Wasn't your thing. But eh? but never will forget this music video being on uh, the airwaves all the time. Yep. And watching it again uh, later on, it's great. It's uh, it's just it's really well done. You know the 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 shots the 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 way that they told the story the the words coming up on the screen just everything about it is iconic i'm giving it an 8 out of 10 8 out of 10 from the big man uh, i put one of the greatest videos of all time all time classic 10 out of 10 i go really easy on the videos yep. as you can tell here <laughs> of course i love the video i mean i'll never forget you know and and you know what i I'd probably dock it for that edited version that they had to do, but because we were able to now, at this day and age, watch it and talk about it, 10 out of 10 for me, um, the video. What do you think of the song? So it's not my favorite Pearl Jam song. As uh, you said, it's not my favorite Pearl Jam song on 10. In fact, it's probably in the bottom half of the mm-hmm. list of songs that I like on it. Uh, again, that being said, uh, I think it's a good enough track. I just think it's it's, I think it's dull or it's dull. Mm-hmm. compared to some of the other stuff that they've done, but it's not bad. I'm going to give it a six. Right on, buddy. Uh, I think it's the weakest track on 10, as I said. That's including Oceans. I, I think it's, you know, it's still a good song, so don't get me wrong. Uh, I Maybe I've just grown tired of it over the years. I mean, lyrically, it's it's on point. You know, I just don't, it doesn't capture me like other songs on that album, but again... You know, I guess it's a bit of a sliding scale, but I'm also going to give it a six. All right. But I'm saying I'm giving it a six, but, you know, it's leaning towards seven, but it's just not quite there. Okay. I love way too many other songs by that by Pearl Jam more than I like this one. So, yeah, I'm going to concur with a six. And, uh, yeah, that's Jeremy by Pearl Jam. What do you got cooked up for us uh, on Tuesday, buddy? Yeah, Tuesday, which I also, I believe, is going to be Valentine's Day. It is. Uh, so I had to pick Only You by Yaz or Yazoo. <laughs> We'll get into that. Now, listen, you got to go Yazoo, right? Like, you got to go the read. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that one because, you know, it's a track for all you uh, lovebirds out there on uh, Valentine's Day. And speaking of the real, we get to talk about the real office as well. Oh, we sure do. Which will be good. Yeah. Not the sucky U.S. version. Yeah. So I I like the U.S. version, though. It's not as good. Well, it got really bad. Yes, it did. And it's not as good as the original, though. Yeah. Oh, no, it never is. Yeah, which, I mean, I do agree with, but it's still, I understand, totally nerdy uh, take on the it. Feel. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, anyways, we're going to talk about that one. And until then, if you want to hear that track, you want to hear Jeremy, you want to yeah. hear all the other songs, go on to the internet to find it. Or Absolutely. Go and uh, listen to dee 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 yeah. <laughs> Only you. Yeah, but if you want to hear our compilation of all the songs covered on this podcast, Super It's Podcast Playlist on Apple Music and Spotify, check out this podcast everywhere where you can hear them. Give us a rating, five stars, please. Otherwise, don't bother. And if you want to uh, get in touch with us, superhitspodcast at gmail.com, at superhitscast on Twitter, at superhitspodcast on Instagram. I'm Slip of Five Eyes or Slip. I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm distracted, and you'll know why when we talk after the show. Jamie C, megamix.com.com is my website. Thanks for listening, friends. See ya.